So, this is the last the last night we have together. We've had the last supper. <laughs> and, uh, and you've been practicing for days and it seems like something's been happening I've been seeing you in interviews and you guys are cooking you know in various ways and it's beautiful to see Um, and even just to feel from up here it's palpable I like the I've speak to a few of the things I, I heard in the interviews and a few of the things that <clears throat> a few things I think are relevant to us. And then a few things <clears throat> hopefully I'll get to if I don't get too carried away on other things, uh, about kind of transitioning towards the next phase of the retreat, which is uh out there, you know, in the, what did uh, Mary Ellen say? In the wild, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I also think sometimes sitting with yourself is like going into the wild, you know? It's like sometimes the outer wild can be easier or... I think it's worth mentioning when we're spending a lot of sustained time cultivating presence, cultivating being here, being connected with ourselves. I think it's um, worth exploring this here dimension. And then this now dimension. I think some of you are are sort of intuiting this or starting to feel this and see this in various ways, even if you're not fully aware of it. Yeah, but sometimes we can get this idea that we have these moments of presence, of being present and connected, and then we have to kind of extend them so that we kind of make the now longer. And that's complicated. (laughs) And and it also involves a lot of work. It's like, how do you extend the now? And we want to try to do this. So I think it's, especially at this point in a retreat when you've been kind of I think there's some steadiness. It's kind of worth pointing out that this whole sense that you are going somewhere, you know, that there's anything that's not the now, 
is just a series of thoughts. This whole future, which you are either looking forward to or terrified of at various moments, is a figment of your imagination. And those imaginings are arising here, and they're arising right now. And so it's interesting to notice, and just you can notice this even in your practicing, you can notice it in your life, but also just here on retreat, how you make a future. And then there's a gap between where we are and where we need to be. And then we try to bridge that gap. The past also doesn't exist anywhere except as thoughts in your mind. And maybe there's some energetic fallout residue from those thoughts, whether they're conscious or unconscious. Thoughts in the form of memories in your body, sort of feeling that comes with it. This happens with the future thoughts too. There's often a feeling dimension, depending on what kind of thought it is. Scary thought, sad thought. I think it's very interesting to start to watch um, the mind. And when you have been practicing for some time, especially such a body-centered practice, you are actually have more stability than you realize, and you can start to see this stuff. You can watch the future being created as like a, it's a show. It's a little mental show. And you're scaring yourself with it. Or you're motivating yourself with it. Or enticing yourself with it. Or consoling yourself with it. Or excusing yourself with it. has so many various functions for us. It's not that it's bad, but it's just very useful to see it for what it is. And this future that you're imagining, even the whole one about tomorrow and where, what it's going to, where, what it's going to look like, that's arising as images in your mind and you're making it up. Is you have no idea what's going to happen, really. You can make some predictions, but uh, but it, it's a figment of your imagination. It's very, very useful to start to pay attention to this.
Maybe there's a future of a better you that you're envisioning as you sit here meditating, a more enlightened you, a wiser and more compassionate you. (laughs) Who talks like this? (laughs) 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 And And then all of a sudden there's this big gap between you right now and the you you're supposed to be. And then you have to spend the next 20 years becoming that person. But it's really interesting to notice that you're making stuff up. When you're not doing that, I guess I said yesterday, you just are. Yeah? You're, not compa- you're not making a comparison. It's really useful to see that. A lot of our future thoughts, and this is also interesting, they're actually not really about the future. They're about the past. That's how we make predictions about the future. It's, most of them are based on the past. And then it surprises us that we recreate the past. Uh, And again, this is really good to see. Thoughts are fleeting and they're subtle. And so, and our minds are generally relatively untrained. So we're not trained at attending to this dimension of experience. But we can, and I think we should, uh, because otherwise we're enchanted by this. It just becomes reality. This feeling of a gap, and then this feeling of a distance to travel, and then this feeling that there's somewhere to go. There's somewhere I need to go where it's going to be okay. And that somewhere is in the future. Can you feel that just in the moment as we say it? I can, I got it. And it's, then it's really... So when you start to realize there is no... <laughs> that the future is just your, it's being made up, you realize you actually never go anywhere. I mean, you do, in a way. You say, well, I came to Spirit Rock. But you are always here. And the sense of motion around time is really a construct. It's a useful construct because it allows us to arrive at meetings when we need to. And you, know, you could come to the retreat because it was on a certain day. But uh, it's really uh, freeing to start to see how constructed our sense of time is. Our experience of time is really just the thoughts we have about it. 
I had this experience on this uh, month-long uh, solo retreat that I was doing at, uh, in the woods, uh, actually at the same monastery that uh, Bob lived at for a long time. I was in the woods there. And I was alone in my practicing, and I was sleeping outside, and the little kuti they gave me was moldy, <laughs> this little hut. So I just stayed outside. It was really cool, actually. It's a great way to practice. And it really, this being in nature part, the last time I was talking about nature and how that really starts to sink in when you're sitting out in the woods all the time. Because you realize, oh, this internally, all this stuff arising externally, nature is very unneurotic. <laughs> you know? It's just very what it is. And you start to, it's very, it makes it easier to start to see, oh, this is just the same. <laughs> anyway, that's an aside. But I was you know, practicing and and uh, and uh, at one point, I, I lost track of the day. I wasn't sure if it was Wednesday or Thursday. And so I was doing walking meditation, and I was like, is it Wednesday or Thursday? And I couldn't figure it out. And then I asked myself, where is Wednesday? <laughs> And I looked around for it. (laughs) And I couldn't find it anywhere. We all kind of know this, but it's different to really start to feel it. No, where is it? Saturday, Sunday? No, this is just ideas. And they're useful, they're conventions. But there's also this timeless presentness, this timeless beingness, which is what is here, what we are. And we just get really confused about it because we tend to live in virtual realms. You know, all this virtual realms, all this time travel we're engaged in. It's like if you were filming it, it would be like a joke. If you had like a double, I never thought of this before, but I'm just thinking of it now. If you had like a double video, one was of all the places you're traveling in your mind in the future and the imaginations of what it's going to be and who you're going to be and what you're going to do in the past. It's like you're going in huge jumps, you know, 50 years in the future, time travel all over the place. Somebody's just filming you sitting there. (laughs) And you had both playing at the same time. I was so obvious. You're not going anywhere. You're right here. But it doesn't feel that way. So, uh, you know, we, when we're connected to our bodily experience in a way, when we're connected to the now, we can start to see this as just as that, as Virtual realities. <clears throat> Mind worlds. Uh, and they're, they're useful. It's like, not like you should get rid of your capacity to imagine the future because, you know, it's good to be able to plan stuff. You know, it's good to, you know, it's because you could imagine stuff that this whole building got built and a lot of the progress in our world. It's beautiful. It's not a bad function. It's a wonderful function. It's just really good not to be fooled by it and ruled by it, you know? It's like it's a capacity that you have to use. But when it is just on, like, it's like that, uh, that movie, like 2001, The Space Odyssey, when the spaceship takes over. And it's like, <laughs> do you remember that one? And, and it's like, 
you think you're driving the spaceship, but then you realize, no, the spaceship is ruling you. You know, and um, it's a spaceship. No, <laughs> I'm trying to f- work with that metaphor, but it's a little clunky. Anyway, <laughs> clunky like a spaceship. Um, but you get the idea, right? So, uh, really good to start to see this, and then to start to see how am I scaring myself. How am I? And as we start to see this stuff mindfully, it's like the seeing really starts to free us from it because we just can't believe in it as much when we know it's not real. You know, it's like uh, when you see a magic trick, you you might see it and it's like, oh my God, that guy is being cut in half and the body separating. And it's like, wow. And no matter, even though you know it's a magic trick, it's like you feel like you're being cut in half. And it's like, oh man, I know it's not real, but it just feels so real. But if somebody explained the trick to you, and you know, I actually don't know how that trick works. I should think of one that I do know. But you know that like, no, there's a two-way mirror, so it just looks like the rest of his body's gone, but then it's not, and maybe it works that way. You know, so it's like, actually, there's a projection of the other half of his body. You can't go back to seeing it the other way. Because every time you see it, you're like, oh yeah, and then the body, and the... (laughs) You know, it's still cool looking, but you see it. And this is a lot like that. It's like magic. Because we just don't see a thought. I mean, when there's a beautiful thing about mindfulness, when you're really still and steady and you see thoughts arise, first of all, you can see thoughts arise. And you can see them arise and pass. A thought is like so insubstantial. It's... First of all, on like fMRIs and stuff like that, they can't see those things. They can't find them anywhere. It's so insubstantial. <clears throat> it's like, it's almost embarrassing that we ever believe in them. You know? Because <laughs> it's like, it's such a nothing. You know? Uh, but it's like a magic show. You know? It appears and it just... And, and then it's like my whole life, and it's been this, and, you know, and all of a sudden the drama is on. Yeah. Um, you know, like that, that Zen story of the uh, hermit who was a, lived in a cave, and he spent five, he's also an artist, and he spent like five years painting this beautiful painting in the back of the cave of a tiger. You know, this fierce tiger around. And one day he's, you know, nearing completion of his thing and he goes out to get some wood. He comes back in the evening with his candle and he walks into the, walks into the cave and he looks up and he gets scared. You know, he's not, I'm not expecting a tiger. But it's very much like that. It's like we've painted this thing, but we don't, well, we get scared by it. So, you know, at first when we're practicing, it really does feel like there's a moment of being present, and then we're back in past and future. It really, 
the balance is like that in the beginning. It's like mostly past and future, and then occasionally it's like, whoa, I'm here and you're here, and wow, and then you're caught back up, and then it's like, wow, again, spirit rock, it's so beautiful, you know, I'm here, and then again you're caught up, and then again, like, you know, you're in a totally different location. It's like, wow, I'm here again, wow. <laughs> and, and it's really sporadic. And, and then it feels like there's a lot of traveling, you know? Like there's time travel, and there's future and past, and then there's me in all these different places popping up. You know? Like, how did I get from here to there? I don't know. But I must have traveled. Yeah. And so as we bring kind of, as we come back to our present experience again and again, these moments start to happen more frequently of kind of realizing we're here. It just becomes, we remember more. It's not like a mystical thing. And then as we remember more, we remember more to remember that we're here and it starts to be a little, have a little more continuity. Yeah. And then it feels like there are stretches of just being here for a little, like a sustained period. It can almost feel like that, like, oh, I'm sustaining the present. But as it starts to get steadier, then it start, we start to realize, actually, there's no sustaining at all. We're just here all the time. There's no popping up. or pop, You're never disappearing. You just think you are. You're just disappearing into a forgetful realm or a, a mind world or a little rabbit hole. Actually, you're just here all the time. There's no coming or going. And then there's lots of really creative mind worlds to watch. They can be very funny. Have any of you done any watching of your judgments while you've been here? Some of them are really, I mean, out of nothing. You know, out of so little information, we create <laughs> amazing stories. And um, it's very interesting. And Somebody was talking about this in one of their interviews when you actually get some feedback that it was wrong, you actually get some check on your projection. Those are really interesting moments. You're like, wow, I made this whole thing up. <laughs> that often happens at the end of a retreat because people then open their mouths. <laughs> and, it, and how fast do those stories evaporate? I mean, because you made them up, you know? Whatever it was, you thought this person really was the next Buddha Maitreya, and then they open their mouth, and you're like, what? <laughs> you know? Or you thought this person is going to, you know, this is my nemesis. I hate this person. You know? They remind me of every person I've ever hated. And then they start talking, and you're like, this is a wonderful, sweet person. You know? It's just amazing how that can happen. But this is what's so fun about watching the mind. It's really... It's like a, we're meaning-making machines. It's like we do that as a strategy, but it just can be fun to watch. You can enjoy your mind, even your judgments, as long as you're not identifying with them as me. And once you realize this is just what the mind does, it gets a lot less personal, and it gets a lot more fun. Because yeah? then you get happy about seeing stuff rather than depressed. You know, and I know that from my early retreats when I started to see what my mind was actually doing. My first retreat, I was watching my mind just in the dining room, just what it was doing. And I got bummed out. <laughs> you know? I, I was like, 
really? I thought I was a little deeper than that. You know, it's so petty. And it was so superficial. And almost all of it was about like me and are they looking at me and am I being mindful enough and how am I doing and they hate me and the teachers hate me. And it was this whole thing, you know. And, and, and I, I was sort of like, you know, and I kind of got a little depressed about it. I was like, really? So that's who I am. I kind of thought that I'd come on a meditation retreat and discover like my true nature, you know, something exciting. And really, this is who I really am. Uh, So you may have had a moment like that, you know. And then I went to see in my second retreat. Luckily, I went on another one. Uh, I said the first retreat was very powerful in many ways, but I did leave a little of this feeling like, hmm, you know. My second retreat, I went to see, you know, I was in a group interview and I said this to the teacher. I said, you know, I really appreciated that first retreat, but I also got a little bummed out. (laughs) And he said, oh, that's one part of your mind looking at another. Get it? (laughs) Got it. And it was true. I had created this kind of me that was then looking at this other part of me and saying, that sucks. Yeah. So what we start to realize as we see all this stuff is that, and we're not looking at it from one, you know, the kind of noble me looking at the unnoble me. That's a nice um, polarity. You know, and these polarities arise again and again. And sometimes we spend so much of our time trying to fight our way out of it. You know, like, um, I'm really petty, so I need to really meditate a lot so I can become very generous and noble. You know, and then we are struggling in the polarity. And then the more noble you get, that petty part kind of wants to undercut it, you know. So it's, just, <laughs> it's like it needs to be balance in the force or something. But when we watch it all, what we realize is that awareness is holding both sides of all of these polarities. Yeah? They can both exist. We don't have to make one side win. Yeah? One part of the mind looking at the other. and No. This is the mind functioning. And the mind is not who you are. You start to see that. It's one thing for somebody to tell you. but Because it's just endless content. And you start to realize, wow, there's also this huge spaciousness around it when you're not identified with it all and believing it all. It's just functioning happening in what you are. You are not your thinking mind. It's an aspect of what is here. But that's not who you are. Also, so we start to see this as we watch it again and again. I mean, so many inconsistencies. Even if you tried to make a who you are out of it, if you really included all the different stuff, it's like you, you're like trying to piece together this huge, totally contradictory thing. It doesn't really work. As we stop believing so much in our mental projections about past and future and our mind worlds and 
sort of judgments and ideas about even the present, uh, our life becomes very concentrated in the present. We uh, start to reside here because this is not compelling enough to uh, inhabit. We can't believe it enough to live there. Some of the time we get, you know, it's like, it's not that stuff doesn't arise. It's like, oh, whoops. (laughs) Or in a moment of, but on a different level, it's a different order. We actually start to live here. So I, I hope that you um, keep watching your minds. In doing these intensive body practices, although it may seem like a different thing, it's very, very valuable because it really lands you here. That's why it's the first foundation of mindfulness, I think. Because when you have this foundation in the body, it's much easier to watch your mind. Otherwise, you don't have a base of operations. You, know, you don't have a steady place from which to see. You're like uh, in the tornado trying to look at stuff going around. You can't see anything because you're in the tornado. So this steadiness um, grows, it deepens, it stabilizes. So maybe now I'll just transition towards talking a little bit about how do we carry this stuff forward? You know, how do we uh, continue in our daily lives where there's so much more external input? You know, there really is a lot more. And even without that, it's hard. You know, there's a lot of momentum in the mind. But out there, there's a lot of external stuff. First thing I'd say is, you know, sometimes people want to know, how long should I meditate every day? And, and people, can, we can get technical about it. You know, like uh, meditation can become kind of like a technique. You know, like, okay, I'm going to do my yoga, and, my, and then I go do my meditation. And, you know, or it's like you fit, hopefully yoga's not like that either, but, you know, it's like you fit it in. All right, I did my meditation, and then it's over. It's like another thing you do, like go to the gym or something. Um, but I think really what it takes in terms of carrying a practice forward is it kind of takes um, having some glimpse. And I think, you know, from just talking to you, I think you're all in this territory. Some glimpse that uh, you are worth it. You know, that even if it's just an intimation that uh, whatever it is that brought you here is really important to you. That attending to your deepest nature, whatever you want to call it, your, uh, to that which is most fundamental in life is something that uh, you really care about. I can hear that from you when I, when I talk to you all. And sure, it gets covered over with stuff and we get distracted, but 
staying in touch with that is really important. And that's in you. That's not even given to you by any of us here. It's what got you here. I think nourishing that in whatever ways you can is very, very good. You know, and I and I really, um, so kind of like a love affair or something, you know, or a relationship. You, it needs tending and tending to, and but you also kind of want to. You know, it's not just like an onerous, this is good for me kind of thing. And and, and retreats are so powerful because really it's like, um, and I said this to somebody in one of the interviews today, it's, I really think of it as like, you know, when you're, you plant a seed, uh, it's really helpful to like nurture that seed in the greenhouse for a while before you stick it out in Golden Gate Park or something. You know, it, it needs care and special conditions and tending. And, and sometimes our wakefulness, our, our, our presentness, our openness is like that. It's tender yeah? and it's fragile and it needs tending. And so it's so beautiful to come on a, a retreat like this and to tend that in ourselves and yeah? to let it grow. And to do that also in your own life is like think of the conditions that are supportive. And they're different for everybody. What, are, what is supportive to my tending this, this flower, this flame, just to mix metaphors for a minute, in my life? When the roots grow deep and you've got a, like a an oak tree with branches out and roots deep, it can hang anywhere. Storms, lightning, thunder, fine. We're cultivating this, but it's a process, just like a tree. You don't take an acorn, rip it apart, and say, like, (laughs) do your thing, man. You know, be an oak tree. No, it has to, it has its own process. And so this is very useful, too, is to this kind of patience that comes with tending to nature. It takes continual tending, but also allowing. The tree grows itself in the right conditions. Our job is to facilitate the conditions. Another aspect that develops is, and this is in the, in the Satipatthana Sutta, the discourse out of which the whole mindfulness practice comes. After each section where he talks about the first foundation, mindfulness of the body, you know, pay attention to the body, being with the body like we've been doing. The next of the foundations is feelings, feeling tone, being with the feelings, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. The next is Moods and emotions and mind states. So we tend to moods and emotions and mind states. After describing how to practice with each of these, there's a refrain that the Buddha gives. And this is very useful as we move out into the world as well. The refrain is, one cultivates this internally, externally, and both internally and externally. So here we've been cultivating our awareness, our presentness to ourselves internally, which is where we need to start. 
awareness of your own body, awareness of your own feelings, awareness of your own moods, emotions, and mind states. Has that not been the territory? That's really mostly what's happening. And sights and sounds and smells, all of that. But we also discover that other people have uh, bodies. They also have feelings, feeling tones. They have moods and emotions, and they have mind states. And one of the first places people get caught up when they leave a retreat is in other people's bodies, feelings, moods and emotions, and mind states. It's like, I was fine as long as it was dealing with my own, but then as soon as another person comes in, it's like out the window. It's actually, this is underemphasized a lot, but yeah, when we can be with our own anger, we actually then can be with somebody else's. Without running away. I mean, maybe it's skillful to run away. I don't know what's happening in the moment. but Or somebody else's sadness. Yeah? This is why it's so valuable to sit with your own experience. When you can allow your own sadness and be with it and see, like, this is really okay. It's not going to destroy me. It can, it can move through. Then you can sit with somebody else's sadness without having to defend against it. You know, without having to tell them, it's going to be okay to make yourself feel better. I mean, we've all had that experience of somebody doing that to us. It doesn't feel good. You know, when someone's trying to reassure you and you're just really in something, you know, it's uh, what we really need in that moment is someone to just be with us the way it is. Yeah, it's then they're holding it with us. So we practice this internally, but then externally we can also do this. Or you might see somebody in the grips of a mind state. When you don't believe your own judgments, it's harder to believe other people's. And they may be totally caught up in something and convinced about it. And it's really valuable for you to to kind of see what's happening. This is externally. And then you don't believe it. You may think you are whatever. Sometimes it's easier to see in other people than it is in ourselves. But you may think you are, but this is thoughts. You don't tell them that because that's not very compassionate. <laughs> it's not to them. To them, it's just real. You can't just say, hey, this is just a thought. You know, Notice we don't just say that to you. You come in for an interview, I'm really worried. Oh, stop it. It's just a thought. <laughs> you know? No, because you're caught up in it. So it's not just a thought. It's, yeah. So internally and externally, we can practice both. It's very useful. Or... You can do 32 parts of the body externally. That's really wonderful. Yeah? Just look around when you're walking. It's a great way to walk around the city. Head, hair, body, hair, nails, teeth, skin. Or on the, on the BART. I used to do this on the BART. Flesh, sinews, bone, bone marrow. It's wild. You know? Just hair. You know, there's people sitting in front of you. It's like, it's, it's really... <laughs> you can do that externally, internally, externally. So... All these practices, it's wonderful to include the relational field because a lot of our life is relationship of one kind or another. Even if you're not in a relationship, there's a lot of relationship. So when we include that in our practice, there's a lot more room for practice in our life. You know, when it's all about me getting back to my cushion, it becomes quite narrow. So to really take on relationship as practice, it's a wonderful realm 
for growth and learning. Uh, the next one is, so internally, externally, and the next one is both internally and externally. Okay, so it's advanced. You know? <laughs> it's hard enough to do internally, and it's hard enough to do externally. But the where it can go to, and this really, is both internally and externally. So you're actually aware of yourself while you're in dialogue. Aware of your own body, aware of your feelings, and that's revolutionary. Your own thoughts, even. It's good to know this is possible, and it is. It takes cultivation. Not that you'll be able to do it all the time, but it's available. And that's a really different way to be in a relationship. Then you don't abandon yourself. And you don't override, ignore, or abandon the other person. Because you're both there. Then you also become aware, just like in the polarity thing, of the field between you. The energetic field that's also the interaction itself, the third thing. It's a very good way to practice. And you can practice this just when you're leaving here. Having 30, 50, 70% of your attention in your body while you're interacting. It's really helpful in terms of being mindful. And that's a practice. It's like, and part of how we practice, be, we got to just, first you have to find out how to be in your body, period. And that's a lot of what we've been doing here. It's like through this 32 parts of the body, really getting embodied. The tapping is great for this too. Just another plug for the tapping. Yeah? Really? Should we do it for a second? Yeah. Oh yeah, I have a body. This is my face. This is my jaw. <laughs> yeah, it's like remembering. Oh yeah. This actually maps your body into your mind so that it becomes available. It's like a place that's available. Yeah? You can do the whole body. So then, and then we can practice in relationship too. And it's hard. You'll get pulled out. You know, it's very easy to get pulled into other people's minds. I remember coming off a long retreat where I felt like, wow, I'm really, I was feeling really free of my own mind. Of all the mental stuff, I could really see it, and I really was just not in it. A sense of really great spaciousness and flexibility of being. That's another thing that I think comes, it's a great benefit from not being caught up in your mind. The mind and its rigid identities are very, very narrow and boxy. But when we're not caught in the mind in that way, there's a sense of flexibility of being. Like, that's where spontaneity comes from. You're in the present. You're not locked into some thing. So there's a lot of room for, what should I do now? You know? I don't know. You know? So what's going to happen? You know? Something might happen. Something new might actually happen. Yeah? So... No, I forgot what I was talking about. I got so into that. Getting caught up into the person. Oh, yeah. Okay. So anyway, I was in this place feeling very free. Thank you very much. And very, so, oh, yeah, I'm feeling very free. And then I came out, and there's some people in my life who were involved in some drama. It was amazing how quickly I got caught up in their minds. Yeah. So that was like a next dimension of my practice. Is like, okay. Yeah. I got to work with their minds, too. 
it's not really their minds, it's my response to their minds, yeah? It's, I'm not really working with their mind, but... Internally, externally, and both internally and externally. Very, very valuable. It's nice to have that framework, too, so you can even have a way to think about it. So from this perspective, you can watch the future creation, you can watch the past creation, you can watch the present interpretations and judgments, yeah? You can also watch the doer, yeah? The tinkerer, the fixer, the me that like, like needs to like get stuff done, yeah? Who, in order to be whole, and that sometimes that's the meditator, you know? He's just breathing, and then the meditator takes on. I'm going to make this a little deeper. You know, I shouldn't be thinking about that. You know, I should really be... You know, I shouldn't be tired. I need to wake myself up. You know, it's like this little doer. And you can start to watch that doer. And that which is watching the doer is not that. It's not that in that mode. This is very another good thing to see because this little I know this version of me. This size. It feels like it's a size. It's like the smallest size of will. <laughs> and he uh, his mode is like you know <laughs> he's always looking he's never content. You know, he's always looking and strategizing and fixing and then accumulating. Like, if I'm reading in this mode, it's like to accumulate knowledge. So I'm this little size, trying, and I have like all these bags that I'm accumulating, trying to carry around with me. And none of what I accumulate enhances my size at all. It's just stuff piled on top of me. Even insights. You know, oh, I got an insight. Great. You know? And, and so... <laughs> And I've come to really realize, this guy, he's hopeless. <laughs> you know, he, he never gets anywhere because he's always him. No matter how much he achieves, it's always the same size. And so what's really fun and, and kind of, and it's a relief too, <laughs> is to realize, oh, whoa, you can watch this movement of energy. And that which is watching is not you know, it's only when you sort of believe in that that you kind of get like that, you know? <laughs> and then you settle back, oh, okay, can I just make room for him? You don't get rid of him. He's there. He, he can just stay, you know? He's a mode. But there's a kind of a space around him, a size. I'm not that. That's not what I am. Imagine if I tried to give a Dharma talk from that. <laughs> <laughs> and then the Buddha said this, you know, it's like, it, it just wouldn't work. But it's not that that's not there. It's that, and it's there for all of us, that kind of mode. And you could meditate forever like that. And you could become really good at it. <laughs> you know? But, he, but you'd still be the same size. So this 